before we start with the with the ISN, ISN she starts with the teaching, there are a few. I have a small announcement. So there are a few yogi jobs that have not been filled that we need help with. Uh, what there's one housekeeping position. I don't know what that entails. Is there anybody here who would be available to do that? Thank you. Great. So if you could sign up and do whatever you need to do. Um, we need two more bell ringers, one for the 7 a.m. and one for 7.30 p.m. Is anyone willing to ring a bell? Thank you. Which would you like to do? 7.30. 7.30, thank you so much. And so actually it's 7, it's 7, 7 a.m. or, or 3.30? 3.30, thank you. So 3.30 and 7, thank you very much. And um, so to, as of tomorrow, IS Institution and I will be meeting with a smallish groups of you through, through the retreat. And so we won't be sitting here through the day. We'll be with groups in other rooms. So we need um, two practice leaders who will hold the space, ring the bell. You don't need to sit up here, but you just that you come and you won't be sitting up here, but just that you would come and ring the bell at the end of the meditation sessions. So we have people to, for the movement, for the walking or movement sessions, but we, we need practice leaders, two people, one who would do the mornings and one who would do the afternoons. It's each only one bell, you know. One is at 10.45 and the other one is in the afternoon at 4.15. Okay, thank you. Good morning. Morning, afternoon. Thank you so much. So because the lady here has already offered the morning just before. You offered the morning? Yeah. Okay, so I think it's, it's getting a bit confusing, you know, like that. So you, are you doing the morning at 10.45? You said that, yeah? And then we just need somebody for the afternoon at 4.15. Thank you. So thank so it's you. Just so we one need, sit, yeah. one still meditation. Okay, yeah. thank you all. That's everything. And if you could, uh, I think there's a place where you can sign your name up, where, so everybody knows, so it's clear that it's covered. That'd be helpful. We asked that to sign up. I actually don't know. Uh-huh. I'm just assuming there is somewhere, but I don't know. So maybe you know the the people who have now volunteered the four of you. Maybe you can. Uh, go to the front office and 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 it's say five, five people, five mm-hmm. and go to the front office and and say that you'd like have taken the responsibility for those jobs. Thank you. And then, you know, the the, the format every day is at eight fifteen. One of us is going to give a reflection, and then there is also time for. For, for sitting still and then afterwards is the movement practice and today because it's the first uh, day Ayanana Bodhi is explaining about movement practice and then uh, and just, just to clarify so some of you who've been doing retreats for a long time will be familiar with sitting and walking meditation so we're, gonna, we're changing the wording because not everybody can sit and not everyone can walk so we say still meditation and movement meditation, and that will be along the lines of sitting and walking. Okay. Yeah. And then, 
Today, after Ananda Bodhi has explained the movement meditation, then I would like uh, to ask those uh, of you who have never meditated before or who have very little experience in, in meditation to stay behind with me here in the hall and we can clarify some basics so that you know this makes all sense for you. And then uh, in the afternoon there will always be a guided still meditation by one of us. And, uh, and in the evening there is then a Dhamma talk or uh, questions and response. So that's the, the format. Okay, I think. So just arriving here, and you know, in the first day or so, first one and a half days, there's always lots of information to kind of process. And just then, I allow that to kind of find its place and then digest it and move through that transition phase into more open stillness of the retreat. So, you know, the most important uh, question in the practice is, you know, how do I deal with my experience? How do I meet my experience? Because often, you know, we don't have a choice which experience is coming to us, but we can have a choice in the way we respond. And that's, you know, where the training lies, that's where the practice lies. In, in you know, working with becoming conscious, becoming aware of what's triggered, what's coming up. And then, you know, allowing that to be there and... Uh, familiarizing ourselves and not necessarily you know, kind of act on that search of aversion or greed which is triggered but just allow it to be there. And then take it more like, take it as information. Not splitting it off into the head, but just like making some space in the body and in the mind to just let that be there and see the conditionality of it. The beginning, middle and end. And that's you know what the practice is, that's the liberating potential of the practice to see the conditionality of all of this to see the bigger context to see the, the bigger connections 
the larger picture, the bigger picture, and seeing these connections is freeing. Suddenly understand, oh, if this happens, then that happens, and then I feel like this, and then I want to say this, but I, I don't have to. I can just let the energy be what it is, even if it is unpleasant, maybe, in the body. Because we tend to project a lot of material on top of this unpleasant feeling tone. We think it's wrong, it's bad, it shouldn't be there. But in reality, it's just that. And this is what we can really, you know, um, see in those uh, terikata, in those poems of the early awakened nuns. This immediacy of, uh, you know, being in touch with life, being in touch with one's experience, and allowing, you know, life to teach us anything what's happening. And this morning I'd like to speak a little bit about the Terikata as, as uh, poems. Terikata is often translated as verses of the elder nuns. The word teri means uh, woman elders or women who have grown old in knowledge. And it's also used for senior uh, monastics. For example, Anna Napoleon myself we you know, were ordained as bhikkhunis uh, in October 2011, so since October last year, we are also terrorists now because we are 10 years bhikkhunis. So. And the monks are terras and the nuns are terries. And then after 20 years, we are maha terries. And, and then 30, 40, 50 years, however long, it stays with maha. Mahateri. And gata means a poem, stanza, verse, or song. And they are composed in a strict prescribed form so that they facilitate recollection because the, uh, the teachings have been handed down for about 500 years orally. And so they are composed you know, in lists and in certain forms so that it's easier to remember them. And uh, so they may not be the exactly original utterances of the nuns. So they have been put in these um, prescribed stanzas. And those stanzas, they were not spoken, but they were chanted. So all of the teachings in the three baskets, they were preserved orally for about five to six hundred years and they were chanted. And different groups of monastics, you know, took care of a certain sector of the Pali Canon and they were, you know, holding all of that in memory, incredible amounts of uh, material. And there are still people, you know, these days in Asia which learn this. It's an art, I would say. And, you know, for us here with our IT technology, we can't imagine 
how much material people can really kind of uh, preserve in, in their memory. It's incredible. And uh, the Terikata is a companion text to the Teragata. So there's a, a similar anthology with the awakening poems of the male monastics, the bhikkhus. And uh, the Terikata are some of the first poems of uh, women in India existing, you know, in the world. And as a collection, uh, the Terikata is the first anthology of women's literature in the world today. It's not the first uh, poems of women, but the first anthology of poems of women. And this is altogether 73 poems, and they are attributed to about 101 different nuns because some of the poems were made by groups of uh, bhikkhunis. And they date from a period of about 300 years. And some as early as the late 6th century before Christ. So some of them were around when the Buddha was around. And for example, the 13 Arahant Bhikkhunis, which you can see the drawings out there in the walking hall, they have all been contemporaries of the Buddha. And in the middle, you above the um, fireplace, there is in the middle is Mahapachapati Gotami, the same uh, picture which is here also. She was the sister of the Buddha's mother. And after the Buddha's mother passed away, about a week after he was born, she took care of him. And she already had a baby herself, so she had milk. So she was you know, looking after both of them, the Buddha and his cousin, I think his name was Nanda. So she brought them both up. The Bodhisattva, hmm? the Bodhisattva not yet a Buddha. So. Yeah, so she brought both of them up. And... Uh, and then on, on one side, on the, on the right side, is Kema. She was foremost in wisdom. And on the other side is Upalavana, foremost in psychic powers. So the both sides of approach you know, towards liberation, the wisdom approach and the more intuitive approach. And they both are complementary. And... Also, the Buddha had two male disciples with uh, Sariputta, who was the foremost in wisdom, and Moggallana, foremost in psychic powers. And it said, you know, over the eons, whenever a Buddha has arisen, he always had uh, one chief disciple foremost in wisdom, male and female, and one chief disciple foremost in psychic powers, intuition, male and female. So that complementary approach, you know, has been uh, known about since many, many, a very long time. Because that's, you know, there's this broad spectrum of how, of how mind can work and, and they can complement each other, those two approaches. And for example, you know, when I'm reading the poems, I'm reading one literal translation by Charles Halisay, which is more, I would call them more the, the wisdom approach, and then one um, 
reimagined um, free adaptation by Medi Weingast, which is not literal at all. And, and some of the poems, you know, have a very different um, story, but still there's a certain intuitive clarity coming through, which opens the door into something new, which cannot be really explained, you know, how that happens. There's a certain magic to it. And depending on, on what your preferences, you can benefit from both or more from this side or that side. It's up to the individual. But it's very important to really know the original text and take that as a root text from which then we can uh, a little bit experiment. And the Terikata were originally composed in the Magadi language and then written down in Sri Lanka in the Pali language about 80 BC for the first time. And, and the Pali language is, it's, is a language which is mainly used you know, only for um, preserving the Buddha's teaching. And inside of the Pali Canon, the Derikata is classified as part of the Kutaka Nikaya, the collection of the short books. And it's organized into 16 chapters and loosely based on the number of verses in each poem. So there's a poem with just one verse and two verses, three verses, up to, I think, over 20 verses. So some of them are very long and some of them are very short and everything in between. And Anna Nabodi and myself, we will each, you know, we can't uh, um, go through all of the poems, but we we'll each choose some of the poems which have spoken to us and then, uh, you know, share that with you. And uh, these poems are also, you know, called Udanas, which means inspired utterances about the joy of being free. And they also include very acute observations of daily life for women in India of that time. And uh, it also you know, shows a very um, um, sophisticated awareness of human psychology. You'll, you'll see, uh, you'll hear rather not see, you know, when we share the poems. And I think that explains the great appeal these poems have for uh, readers in this day, because we can really, you know, kind of have a feeling of. We can really imagine, you know, how, it, how they must have felt and, and we can relate to it in our own hearts and minds. And I think that is the reason why, you know, the Terikata is, is one of the few Pali works which have really entered uh, modern world literature. And, and today we have about 10 different translations of the Terikata. There's much less uh, of the Terragata, actually. And uh, 
So there, there's a really literal word-for-word -word translation, such as uh, Charles Halley say here, and then we have also a very literal translation by Bante Suciato, which we'll also use. And then there are some uh, translations which are much more kind of free flow up to, for example, uh, the first three women, which is, has nothing to do very much with the translation anymore. Uh, just some of the poems are, are quite, uh, you know, leaning on the text and some are completely free and just like reimaginations, actually. So there's a lot of different material out there. And... Uh, And one of the you know main things what those poems do they they really reaffirm that women are equal to men in their capacity for spiritual attainments for you know realizing freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion, and also and not uh, you know without any concern about which social uh, strata the woman comes from. And there are verses, you know, of mothers who have lost their children, to, they died or, or, you know, went through very uh, heavy sickness. And uh, a nun who was a former sex worker, a wealthy heiress who leaves a life of pleasure behind wives who are fed up with their husbands and with their duties, you know, household duties, and then some nuns, you know, despairing because their meditation is not bearing any fruit, even they're practicing for a long, long time. And also some verses by the Buddha's aunt and foster mother, Mahabhachapati Gautami. So there's a broad spectrum of voices in there. And, you know, there's, so for everyone is, is something we can relate to, I think. And also, you know, the Terikata is a, is a significant um, document to study early Buddhism, the early teachings, how they have been, uh, you know, spoken by the Buddha when he was still walking this earth. And besides the Derikata, there is a to, uh, two more rec uh, collections of scriptures which are concerned with the abilities of women in the early Sangha. The first one is the Apadana. This, this is biographical stories of the nuns and the monks, also found in the Kutakanikaya. And then uh, the Bhikkhuni Samyutta. That's the fifth division of the Samyutta Nikaya, which is one of the four books in the collection of suttas. So I think, you know, that's like an overview about the significance of this work. And, and you know, it can really be the, the refreshing... Um, clarity and straightforwardness of some of those poems can really enable us 
to see things we haven't seen before and to imagine things which we haven't been imagining before. And that's, you know, why we have uh, chosen to use this for a retreat because Ananda Bodhi and myself, we both have benefited very much also from the freshness and the straightforwardness of these utterances. Because they're speaking immediate, you know, there's a, an immediacy in there, speaking directly to the heart and not so much, you know, going through the intellect, but just cutting through the crap, so to say, you know, straight here. And you'll see for yourself, and it will be different for, for everyone, but I'm sure there will be something for you too. And, you know, this immediacy opens up doors which might not never have been opened before, maybe just for a, a moment, you know, gives us a, a glimpse of a different potential for ourselves. Just simply because we are all human beings, you know. And it's not easy you know, to explain the magic of some of those poems. And we don't need to explain it, but we need to just experience it and savor that freshness. So, and you know, we invite us to take the ride with us through the Terigata. And uh, before, you know, we sit in meditation, I want to share another poem with you from Puna, is her name. And whenever, you know, I can find some information about the Bikuni herself, I share that with you too. And uh, Puna was born in a wealthy family and was ordained by Mahapachapati Gautami. The Buddha sent a vision of himself to her and used it to speak this verse to her. The verse encouraged her to do what was necessary to become enlightened. She repeated the verse when she was enlightened to announce the achievement. And I'm going to share that verse with you. So that's what the Buddha said to Puna in a vision. The name you are called by means full Puna. So be filled with good things like the moon when it is full, break through all that is dark with wisdom made full. And then the reimagination. It's quite the same, but in a different way. Puna, full. Fill yourself with the Dhamma. When you are as full as the full moon, burst open. Make the dark night shine. So that's our invitation to all of us. You know, make yourself full with the Dhamma. And use this uh, retreat. And who knows? It just takes a moment. And this moment can be there any moment.
So we have another 30 minutes to sit now. And starting just where we are right now. And remembering, you know, your intention, why you have come here on this retreat. Why are you practicing? then coming back to the body who might be still arriving here and breathing
and knowing that you are breathing in when you are breathing in and knowing that you are breathing out when you are breathing out which means you know just to be with that experience not thinking about it but just directly knowing it
and knowing that you are breathing in when you are breathing in and knowing that you are breathing out when you are breathing out through directly you know, being with your experience rather than thinking about it then through, you know, applying the mind in this way, over time experience starts to open up and we start to see the way things are in our experience. And that seeing, clear seeing, frees us from old conditioning from assumptions
So Ayananda Bodhi is going to speak a bit about movement meditation now. So different uh, traditions do the retreat experience differently and uh, there are some that is just sitting, some do... uh, it can be from the, you know, only sitting to sitting and dancing or yoga or um, all sorts of various things. So we have um, yoga as part of the retreat, which is optional, and we also have an, we alternate uh, sitting and what we used to call sitting and walking. So for some of you, it will be sitting and walking, and for some of you, it may not be. Um, so it's. Uh, the idea is to, in the, in, the, in the stillness meditation, to bring stillness to the body and to the mind. So in stilling the body, one stills the mind, and in stilling the mind, one stills the body. And in movement meditation, it's, uh, it's taking that, that foundation in the body, that collectedness with the body, into, into movement. So it's a quite a similar practice, but one's practicing with movement rather than with stillness. And, and you know, when we're sitting in stillness meditation, the breath is moving all the time, the the heart is beating all the time, and the body's never really still. So often we're with the with the breath, or you know, with something that is moving. And in the uh, movement meditation, the the classical walking meditation that we do in the tradition that we come from, the forest tradition. Uh, walking is done at a slightly slower pace than usual, but it's not very, very slow as in the Burmese tradition. So this is the way we do it. You can try it out. And the experience is to, the practice is simply to be with the contact of your feet on the ground as you walk. So we have a strong tendency to be up here. And from here, one can learn about the teachings. One can read about awakening and people who've awakened but you can't really get very far if you stay up here so the walking meditation is to bring your attention all the way down from the head to the soles of your feet as far from the head as you can get within this body and to to be to be the awareness in the feet and as so today as we as we're as we're settling into the retreat as much as possible to squeeze your attention down into, your, into the soles of your feet. Bring it down there. It doesn't have to be squeezed, but pull it down there. And it'll want to probably come back up here because there's more interesting things that can happen. And it's like, actually, if you really just trust and, and bring it back down to the f- soles of the feet, interesting things can happen that you wouldn't expect, perhaps. So... Um, so there's walking meditation for those who can walk. And if you're not able to walk, so for some people you know, maybe need to lay down or are not able to, to do walking meditation for a period of time, there's um, a practice that my, one of my first teachers taught me, a Thai, she was a Thai nun. Um, and I'm just going to show you this way around. And so one can do this laying down or sitting. And... Uh, one starts with the, so in the sitting position, one starts with one's arm at, uh, at, at like parallel with the, with the ground. And then you 
with your fingers together, fingers and thumbs together, hand flat. And then you, as you, and then you move your hand upwards, your arm from the elbow, and you open your fingers as you move, and then you stop and you close your fingers when you stop. And you open your fingers as you move a bit more, and then you stop, close your fingers together. Open, close. And you do that four times. And then you have a 45 degree angle. So now your arm is completely um, upright. And then you move down the same way, opening the fingers as you move and, and, and putting them together as you stop. So I'm going to stop talking, and you just try that for a minute. So your upper arm is, is close to your body and your, your, your elbow stays as the pivotal point. And you keep your attention on the hand. So this is a a practice that one can do also if you're sleepy or if you, you kind of if you feel like you need to do something while you're in a stillness meditation, you can also do that. And this has a similar effect as uh, so. It's when we when we're doing walking meditation, you're experiencing you know you're standing for a moment and then you take a step. So there's movement and then your foot get, goes into contact with the ground and there's contact. And then, and then you lift your other, other foot to walk, and then you, you notice that it's different. Having the foot on the ground and not having the foot on the ground is different. It's a different experience. And then there's movement, and then there's putting the foot on the ground. So this has a similar pattern. There's, there's movement without contact, and then there's stopping, and there's contact, and there's movement, and it's not completely without contact, but less contact, and then there's stopping, and there's contact. So you're just being aware of the experience of contact and no contact and movement and stillness which is very similar to the to the walking meditation so it's a way of bringing your attention to the present and to uh, a very simple and rhythmic experience of the body so also with the walking meditation there's a rhythm as you walk for some of you that may be helpful i find that the rhythm of the walking meditation and also of this practice it has its own settling effect so it's not it's not that i have to and 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 these practices are, are so simple they're extremely simple so we don't have to think about them too much you know we just we start off make the intention we start off but then it's not like the intellect isn't really needed in these practices and that can be challenging because the intellect is used to having all the attention and being the important one. So in this practice, no, the body is the important one. The awareness is the important factor. The intellect is, is useful at times, but it, not all the time. So this is a, a time for the intellect to just be given a, given a little vacation, uh, to not be fed for that time, and just to 
let your intuitive awareness be the one that takes the seat. So as I was since Chita was saying earlier, you know, there's there are these two different ways. You know, there's the intellectual understanding, the the wisdom and the the sharpness, and then there's the intuitive understanding, the more receptive and intuitive and reflective aspect. So this is encouragement to 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 let the Maybe, I know, let's see, I would say to let the sharp, more the sharp intellect side take a rest and to encourage the intuitive, reflective side to um, take the seat as you do this practice. Yes, we can do that too. Would you mind doing the kink of Yes. So I'm going to, going to explain a little bit more about the, the actual walking meditation, if you're going to do walking. So I sense she's just going to demonstrate for us. <laughs> so um, we begin by just standing for a moment. So one can also do standing meditation if you can stand. One can also do standing meditation. And in standing, in all of these postures, actually sitting, one aligns one's spine. And standing, it's the same. You, you have your spine aligned. So often people want to look at their feet when they're doing walking meditation. And you can sort of convince yourself, you know, that you're looking at your feet and now oh, I'm really doing it. I'm really walking really well. And, but actually you're just in a run, running commentary. So that's, don't do that. <laughs> so just standing upright as I sense the is. And you can have your hands held in front of you or at your sides. And you begin by just taking a moment to feel your body standing there. Feel your feet on the ground, feel the sense of alignment. If you're outside, you might feel the, or inside actually, you might feel the warmth or the breeze or the sun. So you just notice that. You're not getting lost in it. You're just noticing that what's contacting you here. And then you bring your awareness down into the soles of your feet as best you can. And then you just take a step and then another step. And the practice is to be with each step as you walk. So we, t- we tend to be like, okay, I'm walking to get somewhere. I'm walking to go somewhere. So I sense she, just, she starts there and she's going to end just here. So she, that's where she gets to. Not very far. And then when, when, she gets, when we get to the end of our walking meditation path, then we stop and we stand for a moment and we just connect with the body and just see you know, whether the mind's wandered off and then bring it back. Turn in a conscious way. And then step by step, walk back. So as you can see, it's not terribly stimulating for the intellect. It's simply walking. Simply walking is something we do all the time. But it's walking with awareness. So this is the key aspect. Walking with awareness. And, and we're not trying to get anywhere. So again, so this is, the, this is how we do it. We have a path. We make a, a little mark at the end of one end and we make a little mark at the end of the other end. And then we know this is our path that we're going to walk between this point and this point. And it's simply walking up and down, walking up and down this path. So there's, lo- you know, it's beautiful here and the woods are gorgeous and there's all these lovely hiking trails. And you might think like, no, I just want to go for a walk, you know. So that's something different. Going for a walk is good, but it's not the same. And so we, we do this formal practice of walking meditation so that when we are going for a walk or walking down the street or walking to the dining hall or whatever we can do that with 
presence and awareness. It's not something outside of our practice. So are there any questions about the walking meditation or the movement meditation? Okay. May I say something? Please. You know, it's, you like, yes, yes. Yeah. it's a good way you know, of integrating the practice more towards you know, daily life because we do quite a lot of walking, you know, walking to the car, walking to the bus, walking uh, down the aisle in the supermarket or so on, you can, you know, you can make that into a walking meditation from time to time when you remember like that. It's also very good after eating to do walking meditation, even just like 15-20 minutes. It really helps the digestion and it helps to, to avoid sloth and torpor, sleepiness and dullness. And it's a, it's a way of, kind of, yeah, of integrating the practice. So we're going to send you off. How much time have we got now? Not so long, I think. So now it's still uh, 33 minutes uh, for movement meditation for you. And please, the uh, yogis, you know, who have no experience or very little experience with meditation, if you would like to stay behind here in the hall with me so we can have a, you know, conversation. And then there's going to be the bell for the end of the movement meditation uh, shortly before 10. Yeah, I think the practice leaders could start today. Why not? No, I think that's, you know, there's those bells. They are already organized. For the move, I'm talking about for the still meditation, 10.45, maybe the, the two yeah, practice leaders. Me. Yeah, that's me, yeah. Why don't we just let's start today? Okay, yeah. so we don't do it. We could. Yeah, so we are not going to be here. So, So that's... Is that right? You at ten ten forty five. So if you ring the bell at ten forty five and at four fifteen, was that you? Yes, thank you. You can and start yeah. today and just go through the retreat. Yeah. Sorry, so start today. Yes. Yeah. Before we said start tomorrow, but we changed our mind. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Give ourselves a break. And you know, and and, the, and at the end of each movement meditation, there is already a bell organized. I think there will be rung outside so that you have a bit of time to come back in, you know, take off your shoes and be back here on time. So please everyone, you know, who is not an absolute beginner, if you just like, go do your movement meditation now. Yes? The next one 